We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Let me tell you something. Um, I am ready for us to have a fiery show. This is one of those days where I know we have so much to talk about, not enough time to do it. And at the top of my pistivity list, like at the very, very top of my pistivity list is this, um, these folks that are ignoring the subpoenas from the January 6th joint. Ooh. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because, yeah, that's the top of my pistivity list, too. Every a fucking bit of that white, a little days. bit of that white. A little bit of that white privilege. Uh, uh, it's a whole lot of that fucking white privilege. Okay. Got it, got it, got it. Let's hop into it. So um, did you see the Dave Chappelle special? Okay. I have not watched it yet. I'm a huge Dave Chappelle fan. I'm just going to go ahead and caveat the whole conversation that we're having today by saying that. And he always mucks shit up. So I know we're going to talk we, about it later. Have you watched we it? We are. I have watched it and I'm glad that we're going to talk about it later because it gives us a chance to kind of get away from the workplace and do a bit of that pop culture stuff. But there is a person who acted an ass in the workplace. His name would be John Gruden. Yeah. How fucking dumb is that guy? I mean, you want to talk about white privilege. Jesus. But how do you do that? But how do you do that? And I didn't mean to cut you off, Jay, but my understanding, and you know, I don't, My understanding is that these emails were when he worked at ESPN. Yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure I'm following the story. That's my understanding too. So he used his work email. He said a lot of misogynistic, homophobic, and racist things in email that like, I think that's like the thing that catches me with this is like the, the audacity and the privilege that I think white people don't see is that he felt comfortable enough to say that stupid shit in his work email and send naked pictures in his work email, right? Like that is some freaking, that is a set, right? That is a pair right there. And so one of the guys on my team is a huge Raiders fan, not, not necessarily a Gruden fan as far as I know. But so I, I called him and I said, okay, I'm going to need a diehard Raider fan quote for today. Where are you at? And okay. um, he sent me a long one, and I'm okay. I'm gonna paraphrase it. But he makes some really good points. He says the Raiders. No, don't paraphrase. Don't paraphrase it. Read it. Read okay, it. Okay, okay, I'll read it. Here we go. Um, yeah. The Raiders, particularly Al Davis, their owner, has always been in front of supporting and hiring diverse people. First to hire an African American head coach with Art Shell in the modern era, the first to hire a female chief executive, Amy Trask, as well as the second NFL owner to hire a Latino head coach, Tom Flores. Mm -hmm. He has also refused to play in cities where black and white players had to stay at different hotels. Mm -hmm. These reasons, not wins or Super Bowl, is why his son's middle name is Davis. Okay. He He can let the door slam on Gruden's ass as he walked out the door. With that said, this is also the same league where A.B., Antonio Brown, can call his boss a cracker and who employs players who beat women and children and kills dogs. Apparently, sticks and stones won't ever hurt, but those are my words. 
Now, see, that towards the end is very interesting. That's the reason why I wanted you to read all of it, because it's the balance of the complexity. It's, you know, what are the things that we're willing to turn a blind eye on versus the things that we are going to allow to to make an issue for us, which is why we're going to get into Chappelle a little bit later. I'm not losing any sleep over John Gruden. Um, Real quick, I saw you gave PwC a bit of that digital smoke uh, earlier in the week. You were not happy with PwC. Yeah, so they have just announced that you can work from home forever, which super cool. That's great. It's good. And and they, they tied it around flexibility, their commitment to verse, to diversity, all of those things, right? And then you read down the release, and if you live outside of a major metro, or if you choose to move outside of a major metro, you're going to be subject to a pay cut. So to be fully inclusive at PwC, and to maintain the amount of work, or the the pay rate for the same amount of work, I have to live in a city or I have to come into the office every single day. Like, I think that that's a kick in the pants to diversity. I think that if you're going to have a flexible workspace and then you're going to make t- people take pay cuts because they are caregivers, because they're parents, because they have physical or mental disabilities, and then punish them for living their best life but not changing their workload is the antithesis of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I agree with you 1000%. And I don't think that this is an issue that is going to be settled anytime soon. I think that uh, companies of all stripes are going to be grappling with how do we handle compensation in this flexible new environment. And I just got off of a coaching call and this guy says that one of his people moved to Panama. You know, the company is in the Northeast here. And this guy was like, I'm out of here. I'm going to work in Panama and I'm be remote 1000%. And they're like, cool. As long as you get your work done, it's what it is. We're not changing your pay. Right. A beautiful scenario for him. So I think you raise a very good issue and it's not one that's going to be settled anytime soon. Nope. So a um, couple other just kind of good pieces of news for today. So the Biden White House became the first White House to officially celebrate Indigenous People Day, um, which is on the 11th and replaces. Columbus Day, which we all appreciate. And uh, Torn, I know that you are a big Ava DuVernay fan, DuVernay, excuse me, fan. DuVernay. And DuVernay. Yep. Um, so she and Colin Kay are collaborating on a Netflix series um, coming out next month about Colin Kaepernick. Are you going to check it out? I'm absolutely going to check it out. And when you say I'm an Ava DuVernay fan, trust me, I am an Ava DuVernay fan for sure. Um, so I got a question for you. Would you want to live forever? I think so. Yes. I, I think I could be down with living forever. I'm, I mean, I as mean long, it, let it's me, an honest let me question. It's caveat that I'm, I'm healthy and well and can get around. So let's say I'm 43 years old. Do I want to live forever at a 43 year old body? Yeah, I'll take it. Okay, got it. So it's a real honest question. And there's this thing called longevity research. And I kind of knew about it, but didn't know that it had its own title. And I certainly didn't know that a lot of billionaires are pumping millions of dollars into this research. And some of the questions that they're asking themselves are, will the billions being spent 
uh, prolonged life benefit for an elite few number of people? What are the realities of altering the aging process? And the last one, Jay, that they're asking is, what are the implications of longer lives on society and the environment? Yeah. So I'm I'm really wondering, you know, where's this whole longevity research going to go? Uh, but for now, we're going to forget about all of that. Let's just worry about life today because we got some things that we need to talk about on the other side of this dynamic but, break. But you didn't answer the question. So before the dynamic break, do you want to live forever? Nah, I don't want to live forever. All right. Like I, I really don't. I, I'm I'm cool with, you know, making my mark. Uh, and gracefully bowing out and seeing what life after holds for TL. Fair enough. And we'll catch you on the other side of our ad. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. All right. So bring it to me, my friend. So let's delve into pop culture and politics uh, just a tad bit. We mentioned Dave Chappelle at the top. Uh, the buzz last week was all around Dave Chappelle. This week, the buzz is around the lieutenant governor of the great state of North Carolina. Have you seen you? Well, you said you hadn't seen the uh, Netflix special, so you definitely got to check that out. Yes. But have you heard the comments from the lieutenant governor of North Carolina? I have, and I want our listeners to check them out right now. Have a listen. We'll meet you on the other side of that. We have got to wrestle this away from those folks. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it is flat out child abuse. Take your children and tell them they have to attend school. Don't have a choice. And then some of them will tell them they don't want you to have a choice where they go to school. You have to send your children here to school. Then when they get there, what do they teach them? Teach them a bunch of stuff about how to hate America. Teach them a bunch of stuff about why they're racist. Teach them a bunch of stuff about transgenderism and homosexuality. I'm saying this now, and I've been saying it, and I don't care who likes it. Those issues have no place in a school. There's no reason anybody anywhere in America should be telling any child about transgenderism, homosexuality, any of that filth. And yes, I call it filth. And if you don't like it, then I call it filth. Come see me and I'll explain it to you. It's time for us to stop letting these children be abused at these schools. And it's not going to happen till the people of God stand up and demand different. So, listen. You can start wherever your open heart desires. Like, 
you haven't seen Dave Chappelle's special, so you can't really comment on that. I, I know I dropped a couple of links in, and if you've gotten on social media, you've seen some of the thoughts. And you know what this was reminiscent of for me? It was reminiscent of my sharing an article from the Washington Post a couple of weeks ago that offended people in the disability community. How do you feel when you hear the lieutenant governor say what he said? Let's just stay there for a moment. Yep. So let me let me start by asking you a question. And I want you to an- answer honestly. How old were you when you first knew that you liked girls? How old was I when I first knew that I liked girls? I would have to say... Put me at about seven, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Eight, something like that. So that that's the point, right? I think that to me, one, I find the lieutenant governor of North Dakota or North Carolina absolutely abhorrent and offensive. Um, but that's the thing is that when it comes to gayness, LGBTQ, right, the the anti-LGBTQ lot, their first thing is to say, why are you sexualizing a child by talking to them about things they already know? You knew when you were seven. I knew when I was six or seven. I was into dudes. Didn't like chicks. Not my thing. No problem. But ignoring the fact that sexuality starts at a younger age And that you know, in a lot of cases, where your preferences are going to lie, at least for the first four formative years of your life, is like just sticking your head in the sand and saying, nope, if we ignore it, no one will be gay. They'll just all be straight if we don't talk about it. No one's going to be transgender. I think that's the first thing, right, is we know when we're young who we like, who we're physically attracted to. And we have to stop ignoring that. We should not allow anti-LGBTQ people to say that we're sexualizing children by providing education. And it should be education. And I am quite sure that that's what's happening in the school in North Carolina that he is so upset about. And, you know, the other thing, and and I'm, I'm a little tentative to bring this up so just bear with me we might have to cut it out but i've been reading this week that the sexual abuse of young black boys by older black women is actually a very prevalent sexual abuse that takes place in a way that the the media and me as white person did not know with the um average young black boy having his first sexual encounter at the age of seven on average and losing his virginity around the age of 11. And so when we're talking about things that we need to worry about, when we're talking about things that we need to be educating our children with, protecting them, the abuse of young black boys by older women, they may not be black, I I made that assumption, by older women, needs to be addressed through education protecting young girls from sexual abuse needs to be addressed like these things that these fucking homophobes keep bringing up all the time is just exhausting because we're not really dealing with things that need to be dealt with 
And a guy like this has real power to hurt people. Go ahead. He does. And so let let me look at it. Um, First of all, let me address. You said a lot. Let me address a couple (laughs) of things. No, it's good though. Let me, let me address a couple of things. I don't know about the statistic around uh, sexual assault by black women on black boys, but what I will say personal experience, I lost or first had sex when I was 12. Uh, I probably was doing things at maybe 10 or 11 um, with girls that were in my age group, age group, but I had sex when I was 12 with a person who was 18. And a dear friend of mine, uh, when I told her this, we were having a discussion. And when I told her this, she was the first person ever that said to me, you were molested. I got to tell you, it it caused me to pause for a moment because I I had never thought about it like that. I'd never seen it like that. I, as best as I can remember, enjoyed the experience. I, I mean, there was nothing negative about it for me. And she put that as an underpinning. Torn, you were molested. And so I've wrestled with that for a little more than a year or so after, after she said that, like, wow, was I? And so to your point around recognition and knowing when we have some degree of attraction for another individual, um, I can appreciate that. I think where I'm struggling in this one is I'm struggling in, in his statement around it being filth, but you have to have it in context. Like, are you aware of the books that he mentioned or the reasons why he made the statement that he made? Because also, Jay, if you heard him, he said teaching him about racism was a problem as well. So I already know that he's a right-leaning Republican so he's on that critical race theory bandwagon. He's on that bandwagon of saying, let's take Ruby Davis's book out of public schools, like some would be saying. He's on one of those kicks. So he threw a lot in the tub in that statement, but then he doubled back and he repeated his disdain for LGBTQ related education study materials. So are you aware of the books that he mentioned? in his reason for saying that. Um, Tell me about them. Okay. So uh, just to be brief, I looked at one of the books um, and one of the books is titled Gender Queer. Okay. Listen, I ain't going to front on you. There are, it's it's more of a comic style book, but there are images in the book of men performing fellatio on another man. That's not something that I want. And I have a granddaughter. I have two grandchildren. That's not something that I want. I call her J2. Look at that. I just, I just thought about that. That's not something that I want J to experience at nine years old. I don't want her going to school, opening up a book, and seeing. N- let me be very clear. I don't want her at nine going to school, opening up any book, seeing anything dealing with sex at nine years old. 
Yes. So I, I'm stopping I right there. Okay, no, got it. So I'm but, stopping there. They, so the book that's that he's a fair statement. Okay. That's a fair statement. Okay. So okay. yeah, and I guess so. I didn't read that about the book. I I'm kind of googling it as we speak, and I'll check it out and and maybe come back to it next week if I find something different. And I think that's the point, right? Is that we don't want our kids exposed to graphic sexual content at a young age. And so if you want to call that filth, if that's, that's his opinion, that's graphic sexual content. It doesn't have to be, if it was a woman giving a man fellatio or, you know, the other way around, would it have been okay with him? Because when he couches it as anti-LGBTQ, he, he loses the argument, right? No one's going to hear him when he talks about people who love men or who love women as filth. He ha if it's the sexual content itself, yes, I agree. I don't want that to be shown to school-age children. Um, can we have conversations that help children get comfortable with what they already know is their sexuality and, and their feelings? We won't get into gender identity stuff, but they have a good idea, at least if we just say who they're attracted to at a young age. We have to arm them with education. Adults cannot stick our heads in the sand and act like it's not going to happen because it's going to happen anyway. You know what I mean? But a good yeah, point. I do. I do know what you mean. And I, I can appreciate that. And I think that there is a way for us to have these uh, conversations around, you know, sex, gender identity, sexual identity. Um, I absolutely believe that we can do that. And what I don't believe that we are doing, I think that we are, uh, to some degree, I think that we are forcing or accelerating the learning, the experience of some of our younger people. Um, but again, I just think that, I, I think that. that there is a way for us to do it. And like you, like you eloquently said, we can't, we can't stick our heads in the sand. As a matter of fact, let's let our listeners hear him doubling down. He's not apologizing. I want, I want listeners, although you won't be able to see the video, here's what he said on Facebook uh, in terms of his original comments. For several days now, I have been viciously attacked because of a clip video where I talk about removing the sexualization of children from the classrooms in our public education system. Of course, the media and those on the left have tried to change the focus from education to the LGBTQ community, specifically that I hate them. Let me be clear. I will fight for and protect the rights of all citizens, including those in the LGBTQ community to, to express themselves however they want. That is their right as Americans, and I don't think that government has any role in telling them otherwise. However, the idea that our children should be taught about concepts of transgenderism and be exposed to sexually explicit materials in the classroom is abhorrent. Earlier in the year, my office released a report about indoctrination in public schools. In it, there was reference to a book titled George that a parent found in their child's school. The book is recommended for elementary school students. The main character is a biological boy in elementary school who wants to remove his genitals so he can become a girl. This book is not the only example. In Lawn Boy, there is sexually explicit content, including an animal performing sexual favors on a human. Unfortunately, there's more. The images you are about to see are from a book that is currently in North Carolina school. 
It's called gender queer. I want to warn you that the pictures you are about to see are explicit. I hate to put these in a video, but I feel it's necessary to show you exactly what I'm referring to. Now, as you look at these photos, I challenge you to describe them as anything other than filth. These materials do not belong in public schools. For those who are calling on me to resign, for those who are saying that I don't represent North Carolina values, let me ask you something. Does forcing these on children represent your values? Do you really believe that these images should be shown in the classroom? This whole thing has been an attempt to once again change the argument and silence voices on the right. Well, let me tell you plainly, right here and right now, I will not back down. I will not be silent and I will not be bullied into submission. I will continue to fight for the rights of our children to receive an education that is free from sexual concepts that do not belong in the classroom. And I don't care who doesn't like it. If you are with me, share this video and sign the petition on our Facebook page. We cannot allow the left to bully us. And I need patriots that will join me in saying, enough is enough. Thank you and may God bless you. So just to close it out, what, what I will say to you is, is this, Jay. There was a woman. Um, her name is Allison Scott. She's also down in North Carolina. She's in Asheville, uh, and she works with a nonprofit by the title of Southern Equality, uh, the Campaign for Southern Equality. I'm sorry. Uh, and Allison Scott said when she first heard the lieutenant governor's comments, she said, for some of them, it starts taking away their hope. Them, she's talking about LGBTQ students and teens. She said, for some of them, it starts taking away their hope that things are going to change or even can change. And she is transgender. And she said, that's kind of scary. And I guess the piece that I don't want any of us to miss in, is that in these conversations around LGBTQ uh, missteps in the public eye, things that are happening behind the scenes that we have absolutely no awareness of. There are ramifications and people are on the other end of what we say and what we do, which brings me to quickly, uh, Dave Chappelle. Yep. So, so I'm going to say let's this talk to about you. Dave. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say this to you. Um, I watched the special and I only became aware of it because, you know, the National Black Justice Coalition, GLAAD and some others, you know, started to, you know, they 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 started ruffling the dust and they were mad. They wanted the special to be taken off. And so I said, well, I got to check this out. Now, full disclosure, I'm not a fan of too many comedians. Like most of them don't make me laugh. No Kevin Hart fan. No uh, Ellen DeGeneres fan. Like they don't I don't. I'm not even a Dave Chappelle fan. I, I don't laugh like that. I'll watch it. Maybe a giggle here or there. Here's the tweet that I put up. And I was waiting. I was waiting for the backlash to come. I feel like all of this anger is hypocritical. I feel like glad national. Uh, Black Justice or National Coalition for Black Justice, whatever it is. I can't remember the name. I'm sorry. I feel like if you can sit and listen for an hour at Dave Chappelle using the N-word, calling women the B-word, 
and a couple of other inflammatory descriptors. If you can listen to all of that for an hour and not complain, then why are you complaining about any of the jokes, period? And what I think Dave was trying to say, I don't know him personally, but what I think he was trying to say in all of this was, in many ways, stop stop being oppressed and trying to oppress other people. That if you are so, part of the LGBTQ community, last thing I'll say, if you're part of that community, you should be standing up for other oppressed people and not being the individuals that are, like he said in one of his jokes, you're gay until you need to call the police. And then the moment you call the police on me, well, everything else is out the window. Because when the police show up, they're dealing with me because I'm a black man. They're not dealing with me because I'm also a black man who's gay. Off the rip, they're dealing with me because I'm a black man. Go ahead. Um, so I'm, I, I will say I'm a little bit surprised um, at your reaction. And, and I am, I think I'm aligned uh, with, with where you are. I, I, so the first piece, right? I think that, you know, what Chappelle said, one of the things was in our country, you can shoot and kill a N-word, but you better not hurt a gay person's feelings. And this is precisely the disparity that I wish to discuss. That is the statement that rings true to what you said, right? If we are not dealing with violence against black individuals, especially black men in this country, he is telling you as a black man, he needs to be heard and he needs to have others who are going to stand with him. And I agree with that. Some of the other things that he said regarding gender and those kind of things, like he always pushes that button, always pushes that button with the LGBTQ community. And I, he always gets some shit about it, It, but he always creates space for conversation. And that's one of the things that I think comedians are meant to do is that they take things that are scary and overwhelming and are hard to talk about and then forces us to have a conversation. Am I saying that he's right? No. But I'm saying that every single time we could go back historically over the past like five years and every time Chappelle puts out some piece of, of stand up, he says something that offends someone and then we have a, a discussion around it and we have a conversation that we wouldn't otherwise be having. And I think sometimes that we lose if we're going to say that you can't joke about anything, we're going to lose some of that. Now there's a line. I'm not like, I'm about to get some shit. I know there's a line. I personally have a son who's gay. I know that violence against gay men is, is highest per capita in the country, you know, but hate crimes against people of color happen at a much higher volume we've got a hate problem in this country and i don't think that we should be working against each other especially when we're if if it's okay to make jokes and use bad words about other groups and it's not okay to make it about your group and let me tell you something you know you're not going to get in 
to his comedy and the comedy of most other people and have them call Jews out of their name. It's not going to happen. He's not going to sit there and use the K word the way that he used the N word in his standup. He's also probably not going to talk about Asians the way that he talks about black folks because his wife is Asian. Probably won't do it. But here's what I find interesting because the conversation is connected to his jokes and do you understand the violence being perpetrated against the LGBTQ community? That that tends to be the com- the conversation and connection. Last thing that I'll say is this. I've not once heard him say a joke that is about violence and trying to make that funny. Right. I've also not heard him suggest that violence should be committed against individuals. I think yeah. that he is a comedian. I think that he's doing what it is that he does. Either you like him or you don't. I'm not sitting up here trying to cancel Ellen DeGeneres. I'm not mad that Kevin Hart is making all of the money that he's making. Neither of them are funny, but they use material and try to make, and some of you all are out there laughing about it. So I just, I find it really hypocritical that what Dave is trying to say is most of us are black first before anything else. And I, I appreciated, I, I appreciated having the, the conversation and, and I'm hoping that other people are able to have the conversation. Let, let's hit our, uh, her voices segment real quick, uh, unless you have a closing comment around Chappelle. Nope. That was beautiful. you good. All right. Yep. Uh, so her voice, knock them out real quick. Colleen McCreary, chief people, places and publicity officer for credit karma and Nicole Lamoro CHRO for IBM. We're both at the women, um, women, most powerful women summit in DC this week. And I am shouting them out for driving the conversation around moving away from hybrid to flexible, just giving people the opportunity to work in a flexible scenario in a way that allows them to satisfy family, continue to deliver for the corporate, uh, good and make everybody happy. So I love the both of them this week. Amen that. And we have LaFon Davis from Indeed, named one of Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Women of Impact in 21. Yes. Um, And the Nobel Peace Prize on Friday of last week went to Marissa Ressa. She's a Filipino-American journalist and the CEO of the investigative news platform Rappler. Ressa has fought against President Rodrigo Duarte, uh, and she said, quote, I've never been the news, but the only reason I've become the news is because I refuse to be stamped down. I refuse to stop doing my job the way I should. Um, And that's what she said after her Nobel Peace Prize victory. So listen, we got to close the show out uh, and we're going to do it with a Chappelle treat. Uh, Chappelle quote, not Chappelle treat. Actually, the quote might be a treat. Uh, Chappelle said, I don't know when he said it, but this is something that he said. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe, say or do, both of which are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. We just simply want you to be compassionate. It's in Dean. 
Yep, so continue to celebrate Indeem and hearing great stories from a lot of companies that are doing good stuff. We also have Pitch Perfect, which you mentioned last week. Uh, no, 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 that was different last oh, week. That was oh, different, different last one. week. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, 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 this is a new one. This is a different one. And this is, you got a short timeline. The applications are due on the 17th by midnight, but they're giving away $10,000 in cash prizes and mentorship. Uh, it's a startup contest, Pitch Fest. You can find it at pitchperfect.live. Again, pitch perfect.live name drop yep so just having had national coming out day my name drop is always my boo i'm so proud of tristan and the life that he leads and being proudly himself another name drop quickly to pando logic and jason putnam and the team over there because i won the drawing for a customer event that they had and i got a cool yeti coming on the way so thanks you guys over at pando Come on, man. I mean, listen, anytime you can win, you you have to find a way to say thank you. And that's a perfect place to put it. Tristan, what's happening? Love, 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 love the smiles that we shared in Chicago. I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe to be a better human. Let's build better workplaces. Find your voice. For now, Jay and I are ghosts. See ya. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.